Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. And Doherty, Chief Executive of Cork City Council, how are you? I'm great, thank you, Jonathan. How are you? I'm good. Um, we live in very strange times. Um, and again, before we even started the recording there, we were lamenting the fact that we don't bump into each other anymore at various different events. It has been an absolutely crazy year. Um, but throughout that, Cork City Council had to keep the show on the road. How difficult has it been? Um, you know, it definitely has been a crazy year for everybody, hasn't it, Jonathan? And I suppose we talk a lot about, you know, we're all in it together. But it is very different for different sectors, for different people, depending on, on where and where they started from. So for us in Cork City Council, I suppose in the first lockdown, um, a lot of our services changed. But in fairness to staff, they were really... Um, really helpful in terms of doing different things. So for example, some staff went to work in the HSE on contact tracing and other services in the HSE. Lots of staff put themselves forward to be redeployed to um, be in our public spaces. You know, social distancing was new to all of us then. Um, so we had lots of people out on the ground who were just there to encourage social distancing. Uh, in terms of business supports, you know, there was the rates waivers, there was restart grants. So, you know, people moved their normal jobs and went to work in support of all of those different things. And then I suppose in the last lockdown, it has been very different, or sorry, the current, I wish I could call it the last, the current lockdown, because yeah. all of our services are up and running behind the scenes. So there was no change to our planning service. So the first time round, if you remember, planning, you know, there was an extension to planning deadlines, that hasn't happened. So our 400 services in the main are up and running all day, every day, albeit uh, people working from home, uh, blended, some people having to come in. And obviously, in terms of the public, uh, people can attend still our public offices by appointment to review planning files or other needs, especially on the housing side, I suppose, will be the other big area mm. of um, where the public may ask to come in and see us. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's challenging because what, what you have to do in the council is, is not only worry about the now, but also look to the future. And it has been a really positive fortnight, which is why I wanted to talk to you now, uh, for the city um, and, and how the city is going to look as we exit COVID and as we move on. I, let's talk about the Docklands to begin with, because that investment from government, what does that mean for your local authority? Yeah, well, I suppose it's it's the first thing to say. It's absolutely fantastic, and I suppose we're we have to collectively be um, delighted to see finally that national support for the Docklands. I suppose it's been on the burner for a long time, Jonathan. Um, you know, previous colleagues of mine, uh, Pat Ledwidge, people like Joe Gavin, have been you know developing the proposals for the Docklands over the years, and obviously we can't forget also the people and all the landowners down there who also have been developing proposals. So this money means now that there's a really strong commitment from central government to put some of the arrangements in place to make the Docklands work. So the money is going to support transport and mobility. If you if you think about the Docklands, Jonathan, you know the potential is for over 20,000 people to be living in that part of the city and over 29,000 jobs. That's kind of the ballpark of where we're looking. So that's a lot of development uh, but it needs to be development that's done properly. It needs to be sensitive. Obviously, the expectation and the ambition would be that there would be significant uh, public transport, walking, cycling, um, and less dependency on uh, on the car. 
Um, also important would be the connection across the river to the railway station and also into the city centre. It's kind of like a town within the city, I suppose, is that the way to best describe it? Um, for us, I suppose the money is very important because it addresses the whole development of public spaces and what's fondly referred to mm. as public realm. Um, so the next phases of the Marina Park, as you know, the money that we had allowed us to develop the phase we're developing at the moment. This means now we can develop out the full master plan for the Marina Park and also to ensure that there's other good amenities, sports facilities, um, working with our partners in education and in health to ensure that the right facilities are down in that part of the city as it's built out. And that's brilliant news because it, it's it's making use of a site that uh, it, I suppose currently could be best described as industrial, uh, dispassionately described as run down. Um, now, you can do so much in the local authority. You can provide that infrastructure. You can make sure that there are roads. You can make sure there are buses. But in terms of building, um, and I spoke uh, MC at an event last week for the Construction Industry Federation and the one word that kept coming up over and over again was viability. How concerned are you that we'll get all the pieces in place but that apartments and, and, and housing won't be built because it won't be viable financially to build it? Are you worried about that? Well, I think the viability is particularly around apartments, uh, Jonathan. I think that um, we see lots of house building across the city now. Some of the developers would say developing in what's described as brownfield land it brings different challenges to them. But the big challenge is the viability of, depart- of apartments. As you know, our um, colleagues in the construction industry with, our par- uh, with the Chamber of Commerce have done some research, and I, there's current research going on again, to look at what are the ingredients that are challenging that viability. I do believe that there is an appetite in in government now, especially for places like Docklands, to see that there has to be some additional supports put in place to stimulate that apartment market. Um, It's not about all apartments. You do need a mix of housing, but apartments are an important part of the Docklands piece. So Yes, you're correct. The viability piece is still there. It's still a barrier to the development community. But I think that there's, um, and maybe I'm just optimistic, but I do think there's more of a meeting of minds possible now in terms of addressing some of the things that could assist Mm. in making that viability gap. Um, How how much of that is within your control in the local authority and how much has to be done at a national level? So in our control, we've done we've done things already. So we've already revised our development contribution scheme. Um, obviously, the costs of infrastructure are part of that viability challenge. But I think that that's as far as we have the. Um, the, the ability to deliver on a local level. I think that it has to be a national level now for the final pieces, but definitely any conversations I've been part of over the last number of years, I do think that there is a real recognition that for places like Docklands to be successful, there has to be that additional support for the development community, especially around apartments. Mm. Uh, of course, the other advantage is that you're able to go up now. Um, and we saw that from the planning permission granted to Tower Holdings Group uh, for, for their site at Customs House. Uh, you know, there, there was a little bit of in-your-face Dublin, that Cork is getting the lar- largest tower, and I'm sure you wouldn't celebrate that as others would. But uh, is the future up as opposed to out, Anne? Well, I think that, you know, if we go back to the National Planning Framework, and Jonathan, you and I would have discussed this before, I mean, it is talking about 
um, uh, stronger use of land, a, a more appropriate use of land, and that does require us to look at density. Now, when you mention the word density, everybody gets quite nervous and start thinking about, oh my God, it's going to be an awful place, just tall buildings everywhere and no amenities. I don't think that's what density means for our city. It is about that using density and better use of land in, in certain parts of the city and across the city, but it doesn't all have to be about high-rise um, um, buildings. Definitely there is a place for height, and I think that one of the things that, um, and our development plan, as you know, is, is currently um, moving to its next stage where the zoning maps all start to come out. Um, and part of that, we've done density studies, we've looked at tall building strategies. So all of that will feed in and give good guidance to development community about what you can do and where you can do it. But what's important, I think, for Cork is that we don't lose its character. One of the things that's really important for all of us is that the heritage, the culture, and the, um, the ecology of Cork is not damaged by how we develop it. But we do have to develop it sustainably. So height mm. has a place, has a part to play in that, as does infill. You know, so there are different pieces to that. But I think one of the things none of us would want is, a, and excuse the expression, you know, just everything looks the same. Uh, you know, it is about the variations in heights. It is about the sensitive how the new and the old come together. And I suppose that's what the Port of Cork site is a real demonstration about. It is about being really sensitive to the history, to the cultural piece, to the um, to the buildings that are there that have merit, and then and blending that in a sensitive way with the new. The, the other challenge, of course, is that while developing the Docklands, you have to be sensitive to what else is happening in the city centre. Um, and, and where you don't have full visibility at the moment, and already, is what's going to happen with retail and what's going to happen with that commercial hub at the centre. If we see a further flight of, of bricks and mortar retailers from Patrick Street, for example, what are we going to do to keep Patrick Street viable? Is, is that causing you anxiety that, yes, you know what's going to happen in the Docklands and yes, you know what you can do given that site? The city centre could pose real challenges with dereliction, with empty buildings in, in the years ahead. Yes, no, I, I hear where, where you're coming from, but I think that what's important as we develop Cork is that we actually ensure that we keep to the centre of our thinking, that the city centre core, you know, the historical island, like that's still going to have to be the nucleus of culture of where people come together but also in the future where people live and you're right um retail is changing but it was covid didn't change retail retail was changing long before covid i suppose it's great to see the confidence uh, pennies have as you've they've announced that they're going to um plan to double their flagship monster store on patrick street so that's a real confidence on on patrick street um, I think that we'll see retail change very significantly, yes. Um, but I think a lot of our retailers actually have been adapting to that already. They've been quite innovative. Uh, a lot of them had blended onto an online as well as an in-store presence. And yes, I suppose the international chains have changed very significantly. But remember, part of Cork's uniqueness has been that really strong network of independent traders. Um, mm. You know, with that 
you know, that unique offering. And I think if you think about city centres in the future, they are going to have to be a place for people. So the pedestrianisation, uh, having it really special in terms of like the development of Bishop Lucy Park as a kind of a really nice urban place to visit, but also the development of things like the Crawford Art Gallery, the, the food offering. But I suppose finally and really importantly is actually people living in the city centre. So one of the things we're doing, Jonathan, at the moment is sorry is um we have uh, commissioned a city center strategy because one of the things you could do at the moment is make very fast moves but actually that may not be the right way to go about it so we've commissioned a, a, a city center strategy with an international expert panel of architects urban designers economists and obviously expertise from central government as well um, and that will help guide us about how best do we um, embrace international practice and what's good practice but also what yeah, instruments and, and, and use, use a huge footprint which we have which is very important now and I have to bring you back to a more innocent time when you tried to close Patrick Street for an hour or two and uh, it, it, was, it caused uproar um, little did we know that Covid was going to do it for us um, and, and we had a unique opportunity to redevelop the landscape in the city centre pedestrianisation works I mean it makes the city much more livable and enjoyable when you're out and about are you now going to use the opportunity of COVID to do it more? I think it's not just the opportunity of COVID, um, Jonathan. I think that the conversation has moved on. Um, so, and I think the fear that may have existed a number of years ago when what we were trying to implement was the priority bus corridor, I think that the importance of experience, the importance of family friendly, the importance of the vibe of a city has been felt and tasted now by everybody. So now they want more of it. And that's really, really good. So COVID definitely provided a segue. But I think that the thinking was always there. If you go back even to the previous city centre strategy, there was lots of um, um, objectives around pedestrianisation and about making the city more about people like at the end of the day um, the city is about people that's what it's about hmm. and of course making sure the people use it and stay there and feel safe there what are the other things you're doing I mean I know you you have dealt uh, with cyclists and and calls for better cycling infrastructure the South Mile cycle lane I saw that being implemented uh, the other day you know you look at other local authorities doing Leary Rat Down put a great cycling infrastructure in place and everybody's using it. Are you behind the curve still a little bit on cycling? Um, I, I, well, it's interesting, I suppose, Jonathan, we, we were always ahead of the curve. Uh, you know, when cycling lanes went in first, uh, when I started here, the public bike scheme was just had just been launched and a lot of the cycling infrastructure went in at that stage. And the way it went in, as the cyclists have come back and said, look, we don't feel that that's, um, that's optimum in terms of um, being safe for cyclists. So over the, over the last year, we've been able to um, put significant investment into repairing existing cycling lanes, uh, putting in safety bollards in terms of segregation of cycle lanes and obviously the new cycle lanes. Obviously all of the new schemes, be it from Horgan's Quay and uh, Kennedy Quay, there's all plans there now in place and all of the development across the city will have integrated cycling within it. We're retrofitting still, Jonathan. Um, we don't have the big wide um, streets or roads, maybe that other cities and locations in the country have but what we're doing is making the best of the 
of the infrastructure we have and trying to make it as safe as possible. So obviously this year, um, because of the additional money that we've received through the NTA for active travel, we'll be able to make improvements with traffic light signaling, which I know is very important to the cycling community, and also to continue to segregate and strengthen that cycling network. Hang on. Well, the the, the challenge here is, is to make sure that cars are no longer given priority. Um, are we inching towards that? Are we inching towards giving priority back to pedestrians and cyclists in the city centre so that it can become a more livable experience? We saw what happened with Princess Street. It made a gulf of difference. We know at Oliver Plunkett Street it worked. Why can't we do it elsewhere? And, and are we going to, and are we inevitably heading towards deprioritising cars? I think ultimately the answer to that would be yes, but you have to do it in a in a sequential way. You have to strengthen and the reliability and the frequency of your public transport. Um, and as you know, that's you know we work very closely with our colleagues in the NTA and also in Bosairn. With um, you know we've had existing routes, we've had new fleet, but there's still more to be done in terms of converting from car use to public transport and so they both they both need to happen you can't just pedestrianize on its own i'd love to but then that will potentially damage the city so we do need to work in tandem with each other moving it all unfortunately it all needs to move together if that makes any sense and when you look at doing that, is there a time frame? Because I, I get, I'd, I'd hate the opportunity of COVID to be lost, that when we do come back into the city centre, it is going to be more livable, more pedestrian friendly, a better experience for the users, which will make up for maybe some of the empty shops. So CMATS, as you know, is the strategy, the Cork Metropolitan Area Strategy. Uh, Transport strategy is the Bible now in terms of uh, moving that agenda forward. So that does build that infrastructure, that, I suppose, that balance of improving the priority bus corridors so people can move around uh, in a a more efficient way, having strengthening cycling and pedestrian access right across the city, and then things in the longer term like the light light rail, sorry, I nearly had a tongue tie there, the (laughs) light rail, (laughs) and also suburban rail. So like it is all of the pieces uh, coming together that Mm. will be important. Yeah, I still, I, st- I still think you and I will be long gone from whatever roles we have right now by the time that light rail is running. But I, I, I remain to be corrected on that one, Anne. Um, the, the other issue that is still a perennial. And s- go on. It's, sorry, on the light rail, I think it's important. Like the first thing you have to do is start out select the route. And that study is underway at the moment. So we expect that towards the latter part of the year that we will have a defined route for the rail. So that's the first step that needs to be done. Mm. And obviously for a light rail to be successful, it has to have volume of people using it. So that route selection then will help um, manage the density along that route, but also the development along that route, which will make that rail very successful. And that rail is going to run, you know, from uh, the edge of, from Balancholic all of the way to Mahan. So it's a very significant part of the infrastructure. And as you've rightly said yourself, and of that building that uh, city centre that can be so, so friendly for people. All I'll say is 20 years ago when I was living in Swords in Dublin, the metro was five years away and uh, we are where we are. Now, I want to talk to you uh, about flooding um, because we had a couple of near misses in the last few weeks. And I know you'll talk about high court challenges and I know you'll talk about um, plans that are in place. How soon are we to giving assurances to city centre traders who've had a pretty awful 18 months that indeed this 
is happening and their businesses are going to be protected. How close are we to starting the flood defences? Well, as you made reference yourself, uh, Jonathan, uh, there are um, legal challenges to, and I suppose, you know, there are two parts to the management of flooding. There is a project being managed by Cork City Council, which is Morrison's Island project, which is a public realm project with a flood uh, relief or a flood um, element within it. And then there's the Lower Lee Flood Relief Scheme, which is an OPW project in partnership with both Cork County and Cork um, City Council. So, you know, I don't want to discuss any um, legal proceedings or in any way prejudice um, their uh, their um, conclusion. I think, yeah, and I know, and everybody would respect that. But I suppose, you know, I've been I've been fairly consistent uh, in this in terms of, um, you know. The, the, there are many different opinions about how to manage flood in the world. Um, however, when it comes to Cork, there has been uh, years of work done uh, by an agency, by um, a group that has statutory responsibility for flood defences, and ours and we ourselves have also been very involved in looking at things like the empirical evidence, the national and international uh, best practice. And all of that expertise has been born and brought to bear on the schemes that are in place for the city. I think what's also important is that um, the uh, flood relief scheme, the lower leaf flood relief scheme, is also not just uh, management catchment flooding, but it also is a huge transformational urban re- re- renewal program, um, which will bring the river back into the centre of the experience of people who work and live and, and yeah, visit. Yeah, and, and again, that, and that, that makes sense. But I, I go back to my core question, and they want a date. You can't give them a date, can you? No, and I think, I suppose, what's, what's re- I suppose lots of people would say, oh, you know, why can't both sides sit down and trash it out? Unfortunately, it's not about, it, this isn't about compromise. This is about fundamentally, uh, diametrically different views in terms of the management of flood in the city. So from my perspective, and I have to take the advice of um, my own technical expertise and the um, expertise that are developing the scheme, and what I'm being asked to do is set all that aside and do something different. Last question I need to ask you is another dirty question. I'm sorry for all the dirty questions I'm throwing at you at one go, but it's been a while since we had a chat. Yeah. Well, I suppose, John, like, Jonathan, just going back to flood for a second, second like, um, you know, the, the flood relief scheme has gone through full public consultation. There have been reviews, amendments, new designs, peer review, and all of this has been done over the last decade. Um, and the, the, the piece that is uh, still in front of everybody every day they get out of bed is that this city is prone to flooding and there is a solution in place that there is money for. There's a design for, so I think that we do need to get on with it. The dirty question I need to ask you is the event centre. Um, and I know it seems like a millennium since we last spoke about the event centre. And obviously something has happened in the meantime that could have an impact upon it. Is it going to be built in your opinion? Yes, that is my opinion, and I know many people listening will say, oh, Lord, here we go again. But I think there are a couple of things that we do all need to remember. Number one, uh, we have full planning permission for an event centre. Uh, it is fully procured, um, and there are no um, barriers to the procurement in relation to the public funding. 
There is a commitment from government for 50 million to support the development of the event centre. We have the best in the world in the context of Live Nation who are putting not alone their own reputation but their own money into it. So like they are all facts, they're not uh, aspirations. The live entertainment industry, as you know, Jonathan, has been turned upside down and inside out and back to front and stopped Mm. completely in the context of COVID. So one of the things that Live Nation have been doing over the last year is obviously assessing the impact that has on their international business, but also how um, they have been doing a lot of internal restructuring in order to have the right arrangements in place to progress with the Cork Event Centre. The Cork Event Centre is still a strategic objective of Live Nation, both financially and um, in terms of operation um, so that that's all they're all facts um, it is frustrating for people because if, if any project had every challenge ever thrown at it this one did um, Live Nation and the and BAM who uh, own the site uh, have been working with us over the last number of months to finalize the terms of the funding agreement which as you can imagine are quite challenging from a legal perspective they always are these things take time and obviously the delays from their perspective were affected by the um, by just the visibility of what was going to happen with the entertainment industry. Now we have vaccine being rolled out across the world. So that changes for them very significantly a roadmap being able to see when they may be able to get their um, their shows back up and running across the world. Okay, well, fingers crossed that that gets a little bit of positive news in, in the next couple of weeks and uh, we, sh- we might share your optimism. I'm not sure if I'm there just yet myself. One final point, Anne, uh, as we head into this, you've just renewed your tenure as chief executive, which means you're hanging around um, and, and you want to see some of these projects to fruition. Are you optimistic now, after the terrible year we've just put down, that Cork is, is on track to bounce back strongly out of COVID? Yes, I am. And I think that we've all individually and collectively had a a terrible year. Uh, Emotionally, uh, people have lost loved ones, people have had their uh, lost their jobs um, and huge personal personal effect of this of this pandemic. But if you look at even the last couple of weeks, Jonathan, and the announcements for Cork, wouldn't you even you, Jonathan, who isn't always optimistic, wouldn't you be very optimistic for the future of Cork? Yeah, I, I have to say it, it's all coming together um, at hopefully the right time that we'll get out of what we've been through with the pandemic. And I think Cork is in a great position uh, to, to do what it always had the potential to do, which is to become a really livable city that is that's attracting people into it as opposed to just serving those who are already here. Um, and huge credit to you and all of the team at Cork City Council for keeping the show on the road uh, even down to the guys out in the streets uh, who never stop smiling even if they were behind a mask uh, and, and having wonderful interactions with the public uh, it's it's a credit to every man and woman in Cork City Council that the city kept going uh, through all of this and we're only going to move on to the next phase which is using that wonderful hall in City Hall that I've been on the stage so many times as a vaccination centre um, and that's the way out of this. Anne Doherty, Chief Executive of Cork City Council, thank you so much for joining us on Red Business and Happy Easter. Many happy returns and to all your listeners, thanks Jonathan. Red Business, all that's best about business in Cork.